Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Green, what issues are Canadian grain producers facing? And the speaker will be Gary Stanford. I'd also like to mention if anyone here would like to buy a membership in SACPA, Annalise up at the front here could help you. So I'll, I'll invite Dr. Sherman back up to answer questions. All right, thank you. <clears throat> thank you very much for your presentation, Dr. Sherman. I thank have you. a two-pronged question for you regarding health care. You have stated that you could likely reduce the health care budget by $1 billion. Would you outline your plan to do that, where the waste is? Secondly, if you could fast forward 10 years, what would your health plan look like? What would medical care look like? And how would it differ from the uh, health care system that we now have? Okay. That's a loaded question. Okay, you have to look at healthcare, short-term, medium-term, long-term problems. I'll answer your second question first. Right now, we have a sickness system. We don't get you the prevention and preventative care and the primary care that you need, so we wait till you get sick. And that costs a lot of money and a lot of suffering. So the system of the future is a system where you have to look at the social determinants of health, um, literacy levels, Poverty, housing, what kind of economy we have. We need a balanced economy, a diversified economy. We need an educated, more literate society. Uh, so the key to long-term health care is population health, is focusing on uh, uh, what we eat, um, our activity levels, how we live our lives. It's about community capacity building, uh, Integrated preventative system through the school system, schools as community hubs. You don't win elections on it because it takes 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and world-class primary care, integrated world-class primary care, integrated into the acute care system, integrated in the seniors, uh, where the seniors are, where the homeless and sick and elderly are, and integrated in the school system. That's the long-term solution with accountability measures. Now, short and medium term, um, I've studied the world systems and short-term solution to the emergency crisis years ago were to put people in hallways because they were dying in waiting rooms otherwise. We, I told Minister Hancock at the time, this is an emergency crisis protocol, putting people in hallways in upstairs rooms instead of the emergency room because people are dying in waiting rooms. So if you really want to fix the system, we have to invest in home care. Home care and home care. 50% of people die when they go into long-term care within 18 to 24 months. We looked at who died in long-term care or who went into long-term care. 80% came from home and only 20% for the hospital. So we said we actually don't need to build many buildings. All we need to do is invest in people looking after people coming to your home. So home care, subacute care, rehab care, palliative care, community-based hospice care. And, and the key actually is to keep couples together, so we need seniors' choice programs, daycare for the vulnerable senior during the day, so you get respite care, a senior's adult's transportation system, 
Independence, we must invest in whatever seniors need to maintain complete independence. If you invest in your teeth and your dentures, if you can't chew, you, you lose weight. You lose weight, you're going to fall. Falls are one of the commonest reasons of admission to hospital for seniors. You got to get two hearing aids. One's not good enough. You got to get your glasses. If you can't see, you're going to fall. You need the home supports in your home. You need to retrofit your home. If we keep seniors together, the 100% of the building is looked after by the family, and 85% of the care is looked after by family, and there's love and compassion involved as well. When you separate seniors, you get strangers changing shifts every eight hours. Mistakes are made. Seniors get depressed, and their health deteriorates, both seniors. The whole health acute care crisis is because of a failed community support system for the vulnerable and the seniors. You invest here, it's actually going to save you here. We have 550 seniors right now in hospitals. It's costing us $260 million a year. There's a quarter billion dollars. To put the wrong patient with the wrong nurse and doctor in the wrong place, they're not sick. They're just wobbly. And they're getting sick for somebody with pneumonia and a, a super infection in the bed next door. Not only is it going to save us a quarter billion dollars, well, it'll cost us about $60 million. A $60 million investment in the community will save us $260 million over here. So that's a $200 million net saving right there. But it accomplishes two things. Suddenly we have 550 beds in the hospital system. Guess what? The emergency crisis is over. The ambulance crisis is over. The operating rooms are sitting empty because there's a bed attached to it. You can't operate because the bed's occupied by somebody who shouldn't be there. When you delay surgery for... Now, there's a report came out. Uh, uh, our lung cancer surgery wait times in Alberta are twice as long as the rest of the, uh, rest of the country. <laughs> Even one of my harshest critics, as Rod Sherman has been partially vindicated here, on the lung cancer issues I raised. The two-year delays to hip surgery, knee surgery, uh, the months days for cardiac surgery and cancer surgery, the delays in care are leading to 30 visits to the family doctor, 25 different prescriptions, gosh knows how many side effects, from constipation to stomach ulcers to kidney failure from the anti-inflammatories you got to take, God knows how many specialist visits, and by the time you get your surgery, you're depressed. <laughs> Is this making sense to someone here? And then by the time you get your surgery, you've got no muscle mass left. Your complication rate is through the roof, from strokes to heart attacks to infection complications if you wait two years because you're actually immunosuppressed. Those delays in care lead to multiple unnecessary visits and unnecessary prescription medications and complications. Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you, 30% of admissions to hospital are due to drug interactions. And 60% of people are not compliant with their medication. Some of the largest cost escalators. So we got to have integrated primary care pharmacists. The nurse practitioner's got to be in the team with the family doctor. And we got to get you on the fewest number of drugs, lowest dose of drugs, lowest cost drug, and improve your compliance rate. That alone will save you a billion dollars. Easy. <laughs> and everyone needs a family doctor. A family doctor supported by a team. Through my work with the Senior Advisory Council, I've been meet, visiting a lot of uh, communities in southern Alberta. And one of the complaints I receive frequently is erosion of uh, medical infrastructure in rural Alberta. And this is a rural community. 
I'm wondering whether you would look at a model that's in place in British Columbia and many other parts of the world. The model is called a, a rural school of medicine. Pop, good question. You almost swear I paid him money to ask that question. Uh, I was just uh, with your local president, uh, Dr. Michael Mann. That's why I was late coming here. That's exactly the question I asked. I said, Michael, Dr. Mann, can, can we build um, a rural medical school? Not just a medical school, but it has to be a health school. Uh, strictly to train family doctors, but to train the whole team as well. Um, we got to train the nurses, the paramedics, the lab, and x-ray staff, the whole health team together because the doctor won't come if there's no staff, and the staff won't come if there's no doctor. So absolutely, Alberta Liberals commit to building a fully-fledged medical school right here in Lethbridge, linking up with all the smaller towns and linking up with the University of Calgary to produce family doctors who have a team and will train them all together. The evidence is 70-70, 70 70% 70 of the people, uh, when they train when they're young, live and work within 70 kilometers um, where they train. And another th amazing thing happens. When young people train together, they date, they hook up, and they get married, and usually her family lives there, and they buy a home, and they settle down. The key is education to improving the depopulation of rural Alberta. And we also need teachers as well. We've got to have teachers as well. Just the health team isn't enough. We have to have teachers as well. So yeah, we need a couple of rural medical schools, absolutely. And we would make it a better model than British Columbia. Thank you very much, Dr. Sherman. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. I remember, along with my table, that we had asked you a question when you were here sometime last summer, and you still haven't approached the subject, but you, you had mentioned seven stellar statistics. You had mentioned Mr. Lougheed and the 30%. You had mentioned the 1% we're receiving now. I'm glad you know that now, because when we asked you the last time, you say we're not talking royalties until we get in. Now, you also said $700 billion that Norway has. I'm on that kick all my life because I managed five companies. Two of them were in the red, and I put them back. So to me, the receipt, the income is what you talk about, not it's going to save you a million dollars. That's peanuts. I just had a chartered accountant call me for medicine hat on my articles. He said, according to your figures, and he said, I agree with him, we've, we've given away over $400 billion in royalties in this province. Now, what does your, your party stand finally on the most important thing is, is royalties. What is your royalties? What, what, what's, what's your idea of fair, fair royalties? We're getting 1%. We're, we're the joke of the world. On, on the royalties, uh, our first answer is, one, we need a forensic audit of all the royalties. Are we collecting what we should be collecting? That's number one. And number two, First, we've got to do an audit, because the Auditor General said uh, their processes aren't all there. I think we should be collecting more under the current rules. Secondly, we are going to 25% royalties. Now, I did talk to industry. I go, what's the issue here? They said, the problem here is this. We need stable rules. We need stable rules. Their input costs of doing business in Alberta to extract our energy is very expensive. 
Because our oil is hard to get out. Labor costs are high. They don't have the skilled labor they need. Uh, we need more labor. They said you can either get it off the input costs or you could get it after we make a buck. So we don't want to drive investment away because right now they have an option. The buck and fields next door, Saskatchewan. So we said there are rules in place. There are lots of royalty money coming in. But you make a buck. We're going to charge you a couple extra cents in tax and raise some money there and put it on the back end in the form of a carbon tax, a consumption tax, where when they sell our product or wherever the product goes, whether it's Eastern Canada, the U.S., or Europe, instead of, the, instead of changing the rules and royalties again, we'll provide the stable rules, but we'll put a carbon tax on the back end. So that's our position. Do a forensic audit, collect what we should collect. We are going to go to 25%, but put a carbon tax, a consumption tax, and every economist will tell you we need a consumption tax. And, uh, and so that's our position on that. We wouldn't, you can't do everything. You, you, you can't raise taxes by, you know, 5%. You can, we can do it, but it, it'll drive investment out. And the challenge here is there's this province next door and the Bakken fields where investment will move there. So industry has said, look, we need some stability in decision-making. We're willing uh, to make some compromises here, and that's our compromise policy. It's not perfect, but we, we, we can't have all the investment disappear. And we're not cutting royalties. In fact, we're collecting more royalties coming in and putting on a real carbon tax. No, no, so that's why we're, we're going to raise taxes on the large corporations. They're going to pay more tax. And we're going to pay a carbon tax of $1.8 billion. And we're going to do a forensic audit of the books. Are they paying the royalties that should be good? No, no, this is not at all like Danielle Smith's policy. Not whatsoever, sir. Okay? But I'm not just going to, we are not going to just for the sake of populism say something for the sake of populism. Our policy has been evidence-based. And then once there's stability... And we have a look at it. We regularly review the stuff. I do agree with you. The people, the resource belongs to the people. And the people should get their fair share as well, not just industry. So the Alberta Liberals would always review our policy. And there has to be a fair fairness for the people. And we aim to fix that fairness. Art Sanford Raj, and uh, thank you very much for coming down and speaking very clearly on what you're presenting. I want to change the pattern a little bit here and talk a little bit about the legislature. And uh, what I'm seeing lately in the legislature is almost toxic. When you have a grade six teacher say, I won't bring my kids out to the legislature anymore because of the antics that are going on. And uh, we had one of our, well, Daniel Smith down here a year ago told us she thought her number one job was to find scandals and report them not to criticize legislation. And I think you're dragging the whole system down. And I would call it messing in your own nest because as you drag down each other, you bring yourself down. And the last poll I seen rated politicians at some po couple points below used car salesmen. I'd like you to address that issue and, and maybe it's time we smartened up and started. I mean, I spent nine years on city council. I would never have thought of going out and with Robert Tarlick here and, and, and bad-mouthing him in the public and saying he's no good or something. We work with each other. 
Would you address the issue of, of what's going on in the legislature and what has to change? Uh, I share your concern. The tone has become very negative. As you know, it, it started about three years ago when I, I was expelled from government. And, oh gosh, I think I was the object of some of the most brutal attacks in Canadian political history. And I'll tell you, it was demoralizing and depressing for my children and my ailing, dying father who, and my mother who they didn't want me to go into politics. We, Dr. Swan and I on our team, have tried to stick to policy. Saying, look, healthcare, yes, our job is to critique government policy. And our take on it is not just to critique. There are many times that government's right. You'll never read about the liberals because we actually support the government because we agree with them. There are many times the government is on the right path, but they're about 60, 65%. So we'll offer amendments to support them. But sometimes they're just completely off base. Part of the job of opposition is not only to criticize, to, per, to do amendments, but the government has voted down 100% all of our amendments, 100%. Sometimes what they do is something completely so dis rotten and disrespectful, and they have enough votes in the House to pass them. So we have to shame them. By shaming them, uh, which is to go to the media, which means you need to become aware of it, the government passes a lot of laws. They come in three weeks late. They leave three weeks early in the legislature, and they pass them at two in the morning. And I agree with you. The tone and tenor, we should not do personal attacks. We should not attack anyone's children. We should not attack the individual. But the policy, the law is going to get passed. Bad laws, unconstitutional laws were passed in 72 hours on the last days before Christmas came. We make no apologies for hitting the government as hard as we could to get it in the front page of the media because we're passionate about it. We love and care for this province. We know an unconstitutional law is going to be passed. Respectfully speaking, we will hammer them as hard as we can because our only recourse is you getting the information and paying attention and saying you can't do this. I agree we should not be yelling and screaming at one another and I agree we shouldn't be swearing at one another and we should not take personal attacks because I was the object of some of them, and Dr. Swan and I and our team, we don't like to get in the mud personally. But I have no troubles rolling up my sleeves, get my fist when good people are getting hurt by bad government policy. Thank you. My name is Mark Gettle. In order to win a war, one has to choose one's battles. And it's pointless to send soldiers to a battle where you know you're not going to be able to win. So one of our problems and why we have the Conservatives here for so long is the fact that we have vote splitting and we have ridings where the votes are split. So would you be prepared not to send or not to run candidates in those ridings where you have no hope in hell of winning? No. I'll tell you why. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> number one, I believe in choice. People should have a choice in who to vote for. I am the leader of the Alberta Liberal Party. We are running to govern this province. To govern, you have to get 45 seats, or 44 seats. With a split on the right, you don't know which seats, and there may be a minority government. The splits are going to be so unpredictable next election. Secondly, we looked at the, we did a study of our data. Dr. Swan actually led this for years, to try to work the new Democrats. The fact of the matter is, the most new Democrats will not support the liberals. They'll go green before they go liberal. They were green before they were liberal. And if the Liberal Party didn't run a candidate, about a third of liberals would vote New Democrat, but you know what? 50% would vote, would vote PC. 
It would actually kill the liberals and the new Democrats to put the PCs in for 20 more years. So th that's just facts and evidence. In fact, we had to decide last election. We liberals are the nice guys. Darren Bellis and David Egan ran. We put a couple of kids in those campaigns. Or, or the new Democrats in Edmonton, David Egan, Darren Bellis, good people actually, good legislators. We said, look, if we deploy our resources against them heavily, they're going to lose and the PCs are going to win. If we don't have a candidate, they're going to lose and PCs are going to win. Because certain liberals will never vote New Democrats, so they got 900 votes or 1,000 votes from the liberals. Had they not gotten those votes, those votes would have gone PC because they were not going to go New Democrat, and that's the only reason they won. Major reason they won. So, so I believe in choice. Uh, we will have candidates in 87 constituencies. Our goal is to have winnable candidates in all constituencies. And frankly, I would love to get 60 seats next election. I can't get them if I don't have candidates. My name is Joseph Natuck, a citizen of our uh, resident of Lethbridge. Uh, just a quick uh, observation. Uh, I've always feared the word carbon tax, and quite frankly, to me, it's a cop-out. I think we have to go further and consider the environment, because I don't see carbon taxes really reducing the impact of the environment. So just a little bit of advice. I would suggest you reconsider that. I'm not, I'm not telling you how, to, how you set your policy, but I'm saying it's, to me, it's just a cop-out. Thank you. Well, good question. We, we use two terms. One is price on pollution or carbon tax, <laughs> depending on who you talk to. And under the liberal plan, we actually had, uh, out of all the parties, we had the most progressive, forward-thinking, uh, environmental and carbon policy last election. We said, if we put a price on, carb, price on pollution or carbon tax, that's $1.8 billion a year we would bring in to Alberta on large emitters, so not, not on the gas pump on you, not on your house, on large emitters, large industry. Half of that money should go to a technology fund, which is innovation, research, and development. The fund would incent the new renewable energy market that we need to incent clean, green energy, like wind and solar and biomass and efficiency measures. Half of the fund will go into a, a green transit fund where on a per capita basis, say Calgary would get $300 million every year, three kilometers of LRT track, and Edmonton would get uh, three kilometers of LRT track. Lethbridge would get X amount for clean green transit liquid natural gas buses. So that's what that money would be targeted for to achieve a reduction in carbon and more incentives of clean green sources of energy that we have that we can deploy. So. We could argue about car the word carbon tax or price on pollution, but the end result is good policy to improve our credibility environment across the world so we can actually uh, improve the name of Albertans. Uh, Dr. Sherman, I'm uh, Trevor Page. Um, and my question deals with the Alberta Liberal Party. I think it's about three years since you've been the leader. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you're doing in terms of the growth of paid up memberships and how your finances are doing. Good, good question. I've been leader about two years and a bit and uh, Dr. Swan will tell you it's not easy being a leader of any political party, especially, um, you know, the Alberta Liberal Party had done very well when Lawrence de Corp was here. 
It had been a state of steady decline and constant management changes. When the leader changes, the executive changes, uh, the staff change, uh, the, the staff in the office change, staff at caucus change. That's happened every election. How are we doing now? The Liberal Party is debt free. We have cash in the bank. Every liability has been paid off, and the PCs are in debt. We're out of debt, and we're growing. Sorry? I think we have about $100,000 now. We have a bunch of bright young people now. So the party asked me to stay, and I said, hey, I'd, I'd love to stay. My family was saying, are you sure? Um, so we have fixed up many of the... It's taken me about a year and a half, taken us, our team, about a year and a half to identify, diagnose the problems of the party and fix the problems. So many of the problems were the party never had money, so they couldn't buy a data system. It was all uh, designed by volunteers. We have a professional data system we just bought. Uh, uh, President Obama's people designed this data system, Nation Builder. We've cleaned up the data system. We've scrubbed it. Now we have to call a lot of people live to get their addresses because 6% of the people move or their addresses change every year. we we got to get emails. So we're going to clean the data. You're going to get lots of phone calls. We're, we're going to build constituency associations. we got to bring new members into the team. Uh, money is coming in. Our revenues are up. Our expenses are down. Hear the response, your response to the number of paid-up memberships. Oh, gosh. You know, uh, I don't have that answer. The party passed a policy at the AGM where the membership expires on December 31st. And so the ones we have paid up are the decor members or the auto renews. The party hasn't had the staff. They only had 1.25 FTE staff in the office to get on the phone to renew memberships. We haven't had the staff. Now we have four and a half staff. So I don't have that answer for you. What I can tell you is we have about 5,500 clean pieces of data Many are members, many are donors, many are supporters who are neither members nor donors, but we're marketing them that they just did give $20,000 in the last 10 days in a fundraising campaign. And, and we're, now the plan is to grow the membership. I'd ask you all to go to albertaliberal.com and get a membership. And uh, we have a real data system now, and we'll communicate with you, and I'd ask you to become a member and donate. Albertaliberal.com. But the answer to your question is not enough. We don't have enough members. Yeah, we don't have enough members. Kurt Peterson, this is my name. Uh, Dr. Sherman, thanks for coming. My question uh, relates to the hardest issue in Lakhbridge these days, or one of the hardest issues, uh, urban drilling. Could you outline the uh, liberal position on urban drilling in Alberta, and, and particularly in Lakhbridge, of course, but... Generally speaking, our caucus had a meeting, and uh, we basically said, look, this province has changed. There are old laws and old legislation. This province is not what it used to be 20, 30 years ago. It's grown. It's very urban, and millions of more people are going to move here over the next couple of decades. So our position is simple. A province-wide ban on all new urban drilling in urban Alberta. In fact, Medicine Hat has urban drilling, but they haven't done any since 2005. They haven't done it because they recognize there's a lot of natural gas in and around outside. We don't have to do it in the middle of a city. We don't need a task force. We don't need a study. We don't need a report. Leadership is about making decisions. No drilling in Lethbridge or any other urban center in Alberta.
we have time for another question. Alberta is a center of an incredible energy wealth, and that's driven much of the politics of this area. But the old way of thinking of carbon uh, resources was that we'd use our coal, our oil, and our natural gas until they ran out. Recently, that has been reconsidered, and more and more people are recognizing that there are two factors. Sheikh Jumani, the former minister of oil for Saudi Arabia, said that when we stop using uh, carbon uh, fuels, there'll still be oil and coal in the ground. Uh, and there are two factors behind that. One is the environment, and the other is cost. Is there anything in Alberta, in the legislature, to plan for a post-carbon Alberta? With the current government, no. The current government's policy is, let's get it out as quickly as we can, fast as we can, and as irresponsibly as we can. They'll say they're doing it responsibly, but I think we got to do it way better. Our first policy, my first policy as leader, was we need to pace our growth. We must do it in a sustainable way, and we must do it in an environmentally responsible way. We cannot stick the next generation with a whole bunch of uh, problems that are going to hurt the health, the water, the soil, and the air quality, and the actually again in turn, going to cost a lot of money down the road and the companies long gone, including the First Nations. So it has to be done in a responsible way, clean energy development in us done cleaner, greener, safer, and cheaper. The government is focused on faster. And that's the credibility problem that we face, our credibility across the world. It's okay. We've been blessed with all these resources. We've been blessed. But we've got to do it right. And, and secondly, the future economy. And that's why we need a market of renewable energy. Market. And that's why it's important for us to invest in research and development. And a massive investment, not a cost, investment into education from early childhood to early Head Start programs to schools as community hubs to post-secondary the real economy of the future in a global marketplace is innovation and technology, research and development. And if we don't invest today, we are going to be far behind the world. We already are falling behind. But we need to first catch up and we need to get ahead. So we need to invest in the University of Lethbridge. We need to invest in Lethbridge College. Your administrators need sustainable, predictable funding. They need X amount of funding to get caught up because they don't have enough teachers, support staff, to run the institution they currently have. And they need to fix the roof, leaky roof. And we need to give them sustainable, predictable funding over three to five year funding cycles. Uh, and the key is research and development and innovation technology. Uh, nanotechnology, and I see that being the economy of the future. And I see the next billion dollar idea coming from Alberta. So how do we leverage the strength of our energy economy into the economy of the future? That's a real question. And the, and the solution is education. I'd like to uh, thank Dr. Sherman for uh, an interesting talk and telling what the Alberta Liberal stance is on the, the policies affecting Alberta. And 
just remind you, next week uh, we're talking about grain. So thank you. The